This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Wednesday, January the 6th, 2001, the sixth day of 365 here in the calendar year. Kind of a crazy day in sports, crazy day in the world. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to try to remain positive with everything, but just wanted to uh, get on here. Looking forward to our show today. Have a uh, good another good friend of mine that's going to come on as a guest speaker. Also, just kind of going through, it looks like Trevor Lawrence has decided to enter the NFL draft. He's probably going to be the number one pick. Chan Gailey decides to resign today. I wonder if the leak on ESPN.com on the fake Adam Schefter Twitter site kind of spurred some stuff there. The uh, GW men's basketball game was canceled today due to safety reasons. I uh, was able to text with Coach Christian a little bit. Everybody is safe and doing well. Glad to hear that. Unfortunate situation, but uh, safety is the priority right now, and I'm, I'm glad that the A-10 um, and the school decided to make sure that they were doing the right thing there. Going to be a fun show. Looking forward to it. Until then, we will be right back. Once uh, once I get back on the line, I will have uh, Coach Mataro on the phone, and we can just kind of talk about a little bit of anything and everything. And, uh, you know, Dave does a great job at Randolph-Macon as an assistant coach. I worked with him. At Shenandoah University for one year, he worked at Mount St. Mary's as well as Sienna. Dave uh, has an awesome story. He's kind of bounced around a little bit. He's another grinder just like Coach Walsh was, bounced around to different schools and has done an excellent job. So look forward to having Dave on. We will be back here shortly. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in. Three, two, one. Welcome back to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. Uh, lucky to have Coach Dave Maturo with us today. He's uh, he's a good friend of mine. Dave and I have had a lot of uh, hotel chats, on the road chats, uh, on the sideline together chats, and uh, I'm I'm really uh, lucky to have him with me today. And I'm lucky to have him as a friend. He uh, he's kind of a journeyman. Um, that's probably the easiest way to uh, explain him. He was at Siena for three years, VCU for one year. Mount St. Mary's for two years, with me at Shenandoah for one year. He has spent five years as an assistant coach at Randolph-Macon, and uh, as Dave and I were talking before we got here on the show, he was just promoted to associate head coach at Randolph-Macon, and uh, I can't be happier for him. That's an awesome uh, spot for him to be at, and I hope that that uh, you know, will lead him to get his goal, possibly running a program here very shortly. But uh, Dave, I'm glad to have you on the show. Chad, yeah, appreciate the intro, and uh, excited about getting the opportunity here to talk to you and your listeners. Um, you know, I read off all those years. Um, you spent a fair amount of time in a lot of rental cars and uh, continental breakfast hotels, haven't you? Yeah, I'd even throw in, you know, <laughs> friends' couches for that matter. You know, you, it's you, always interesting, kind of where you know your journeys take you, especially at a Division three level, trying to you know make ends meet and and find a way to uh, get where you need to get to. That's always a, uh, you know, interesting 
I guess, test case in terms of figuring out where you're going to sleep at night. And uh, having having close friends on the road is always a great uh, time to be able to catch up with other people as well. I, uh, you know, I when we worked together back at Shenandoah, you taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, I know you've been, been fortunate to work for a lot of really good guys. And, uh, you know, but I, I learned a lot under you. A, uh, how to carry myself as an assistant coach at the college level. And B, just kind of how to how to read certain things and do certain things. And I still use those to this day. Um, you know, the fun part for me was you've been fortunate to work for some guys that have done some serious damage at the college level with regards to wins and taking programs to certain levels. I mean, you work for, for Fran. You work for Shaka, you work for Jamian, and you work for Josh Merkel now, who's one of the best Division Three basketball coaches. Working for all those guys, have you tried to take tidbits from each individual person and kind of mold that into Dave Maturo as a basketball coach, or how have you approached learning from those guys? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think just having the opportunity to be around all those guys, and uh, you know, I think you got to stay true to yourself as a coach. It's not. Like, I try to emulate all those guys, but I think in terms of how they approach running their programs, you know, each guy has their own different, you know, twist on how they want things done and, you know, their flair for, you know, how they want to see things operate. And especially being in the operations role for me for, shoot, it was about five years and then one year as a GA, those six years kind of being behind the scenes where, you know, you're not as much on the floor and recruiting. You get really a, a great insight into how those guys operate day to day and I think that you know it, it is really where you know when you talk about trying to get into leadership positions and, and get a chance to run your own program you know that's the most valuable pieces because the little things that you don't normally think about those guys are thinking about 24 7 in terms of you know perception and how their programs are viewed and how they want to brand you know what they're doing on campus and obviously within the local community you know year-round when so with you being in operations, um, I'm sure Fran had his own little knack of difficultness, and I'm sure Shaka and Jamie and have their own little knack of difficultness. Which were they like most anal about, or most like it has to be this way? Because I'm real intrigued with success. I mean, obviously, you know, Fran went from Siena. He's now at Iowa. He's got you know Luca Garza, the best big guy in the country. They do an unbelievable job. And, and you know when you watch a game on television, Iowa's playing, you're going to get a good basketball game on television. And then obviously, you know, Shaka had, you know, Havoc. And then, you know, with Jamie. And I'm going to give you credit on this because I, I know we've sat and talked long enough over this with dinners and everything. Did you not come up with the name Mayhem? Was that you? <laughs> you know, that was kind of a brainchild of, of the entire staff, to be honest. Um, I know there were some reservations about the true definition of mayhem, but I guess, you know, just in terms of what we were trying to instill and kind of playing off havoc a little bit, you know, that, that was kind of where, you know, that, that came from. And it was, yep. you know, all of us kind of brainstorming and come up with different ideas of how, you know, we could best brand the program. And it was kind of like a think tank session where everybody was just kind of thinking of different, you know, ways to the best describe it. And that was just one that came up and, uh, you know, we kind of ran with it from there, and it kind of, I think the alliteration, you know, those, those big-time English words, SAT words, uh, you know, the Mount Mayhem, I think, kind of really tied it together because it was something that kind of people could gravitate towards because it was easy to remember. Um, and then, you know, in, in terms of the operations side of things, you know, I think all of them, you know, the intricacy and, you know, the little quirks and, and personalities, 
the biggest thing was that they just wanted to make sure that things ran smoothly and there were no surprises. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're traveling with, you know, the Division One level, usually 13 scholarship players. Sometimes you have a walk-on or two. You got managers. You have your full assistant staff, your trainer, bus driver. I mean, the, the list goes on. It's just, you know, what's our plan of attack? How, where are we getting to? At what time? You know, what's this, what's the day-to-day look like? And then obviously, there's always going to be stuff that comes up that you're inevitably going to have to change. But being able to kind of talk through that and make sure that, you know, there, there's no quote-unquote surprises where, you know, something comes up that you haven't planned for, that that's the worst-case scenario for an operations guy. Oh, I... uh, you got to kind of look at everything from, you know, what happens if, you know, you're stuck in traffic. Well, did you look at the traffic patterns ahead of time? Um, you know, if you sit down at a restaurant, this was probably, you know, my biggest learning lesson my first year in operations was just dealing with restaurants and not realizing, like, you know, how certain guys wanted things done. Um, you know, we want the food on the table. We want to be in out in 45 minutes. And you know, that was something I had to learn the hard way. Uh, but I, I think all those guys would probably say, too, that, you know, they're expecting you to make, make some mistakes, but in the same token, don't make the same mistake twice. Right. And, you know, that was always something I took great pride in was, you know, I may make a mistake here or there, uh, but you're always going to continue to ask questions and be curious about how they want things done. And it's better to over-communicate than under-communicate. And that helps eliminate, you know, those surprises that, you know, you're trying to eliminate and create less distractions for guys. So that way, you know, it's a really smooth process for them. And really all they worry about is, you know, just winning a basketball game at that point on the road. You know, that's one, you, you actually just hit on something that I, I learned from you that I use a lot and I use it with my players and I use it with my staff. Um, over-communicate. Like, I know sometimes I can be a royal pain in the ass with text messages. I just know I am. But if I'm not over-communicating to you and telling you exactly where I sit mentally or what we are looking for, what we're going to do, I'm not doing my job. And I learned that from you. That was one big thing where, you know, when we would put together our recruiting um, logs and, man, our our, uh, graduation plans and all that fun stuff at Shenandoah, like, we had to have it all down to the nth degree, because if not, that's, that's where we gained or lost kids. And, um, you know, you and I worked on those a lot. I kind of was able to gather a lot of information that way. And then been fortunate at, you know, South Hagerstown to pass a lot of that along and still use it today. Um, yeah, I mean, some coaches want chicken parm and, you know, sometimes you got to find the best place to have chicken parm on the road. So I, I do, I do understand making those phone calls with you every once in a while. Absolutely. Fran McCaffrey was a big time chicken parm guy and uh, he had his own rating scale for us. So he lets you know exactly kind of where he stood in terms of the Italian restaurants. There's no question about that. <laughs> um, you know, you're in the ODAC now for going on your seventh year. Um, I've I've followed you guys ever since I left Shenandoah. You are doing an unbelievable job. At Randolph Macon, um, I, I guess the fair way to put it was, you know, Mike Rhodes kind of set the standard, and Nathan uh, kept the standard going. And you guys have, in my opinion, gotten above where they were before. You, you guys have done an unbelievable job. If I'm not mistaken, you've won three ODAC regular season championships in a row. Is that correct? Uh, it's actually four. 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 Okay. We had, we had, uh, three outright, and then uh, the very first one was a shared. Uh, regular season title. Gotcha. Well. Gotcha. So you went four in a row in one of the best conferences in the country. Um, you guys went to the NCAA tournament. Obviously, this past year you would have gone, but COVID kind of threw a wrinkle into a whole bunch of stuff. But you went the prior year and you lost in the Elite Eight, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Uh, Sweet 16 
to uh, the eventual national runner-up swap uh, swap war. They shot the hell out of it that night, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, the the first half was kind of telling two halves. The first half, we came out like gangbusters, um, and you know, we we shot the hell out of it. I mean, I, I just remember Luke Neely and Daryl Williams, uh, both seniors in that game. I think they ended up with a combined nine three pointers made in that game, and I think wow. eight of them came in the first half. Um, and so we felt good about it going in, into halftime, and obviously the script flipped in the second half, uh, and you know we just weren't able quite enough to and make enough shots there down the stretch to you know advance yeah, at that I'm... point. But um, it was an unbelievable game. I mean, that was one of the highest level games that I've been a part of at Macon yep. at that level. I mean, I think a lot of people probably you know watching that game probably thought that was almost like a Final Four game just with the the competition level and the back and forth nature. Uh, that, you know, both us and obviously the, the ultimate winner of the game, Swarthmar, had uh, just with the talent level and then, then just the, the energy and execution there, um, especially late in the game. Well, I mean, I remember I watched it, you know, on the, the Division three video feed that they had, and it, it was like watching an NCAA Division one tournament game. It was just kind of like a heavyweight fight back and forth, and it was a lot of fun to watch, especially because I know you and Josh and – you know, it just kind of makes it makes it more enjoyable to watch games like that when I know people and can kind of I know what you're thinking or where you're at mentally with stuff. And, you know, that's the, that that's fun for me. Um, speaking of backcourts and you talked about guys that shot the heck out of it. You have Buzz Anthony, who probably is the best player or leader. Well, he might be the best player. I'll let you speak on that. But he's definitely probably one of the best leaders in Division Three basketball. Would you Would you say he's probably at that spot? Absolutely, yeah. No question. And he's he's been the ODAC Player of the Year, what, two years in a row? Yes, the past, the past two years. The past two years. Um, how do you feel about having him in in this season coming up? I mean, we're dealing with COVID, we're dealing with testing, we're dealing with slight bubbles on campuses and that type stuff. And I know you said you've been back to practice for the last couple of days and been able to kind of get after it, which I'm jealous of because I can't wait to get back in the gym. This this thing's driving me nuts not being able to get in the gym. But how has Buzz been in practice as a leader with all the other extra stuff that's going on for you guys? You know, it's been a very, I mean, for everyone involved, you know, not just basketball, but everywhere, you know, it's, it's a unique challenge. And, you know, we've kind of really talked about with our guys that with, with the with the adversity, there comes opportunities, you know, to do some things differently. Um, and, and you can kind of view it, as a, view it as a roadblock or you can view it as a stepping stone to kind of get to the next, the next phase. So, you know, unfortunately for, you know, two of our seniors, Buzz Anthony and Dave Funderburg, you know, they made the, the decision to, take a gap semester last semester because there wasn't the ruling yet uh, in terms of the NCAA granting all athletes, you know, a year waiver. So they gotcha. didn't want to kind of have their senior season end the way their junior season ended, you know, due to COVID in case, you know, things don't go as planned. So, you know, for them, you know, they were kind of working in the real world uh, the okay. first, during the fall semester. So, you know, they weren't allowed to practice, um, they weren't on campus, so that challenge in and of itself for them as you know seniors, and, and obviously they want to have an impact. and And I think their their goal for their envision for their senior year has really been able to leave, you know, Randolph making it a better place than when they found it, um, and hopefully a place that can continue to have success after they they leave in any higher levels than you know than what we have hopefully here over the next you know course of the next twelve to eighteen months. So, you know, I think that's been the biggest challenge for them is you know they haven't been around. The younger guys, especially because we have seven new freshmen mm-hmm. and one new transfer was a sophomore, 
So I think just to be able to develop those connections and those relationships where, you know, you can have an honest conversation because that, that's a lot to ask, you know, especially as adults to have, you know, real hard conversations that, you know, focus on truth rather than just harmony in that sense. And, you know, I think that's probably the biggest challenge with those guys right now is, you know, developing those connections so that they can hold those guys to the standard that has been set here over the last few years that they've helped create. Uh, and so, you know, I think they're going through that process now. They know it's not something that they can automatically build in four practices. Right. But I think they're, they're the ones that are putting in time. And, you know, I'm confident that, and I think as a staff are confident, not just myself, but our head coach and, and our other system as well, in terms of their ability to, to, make, to connect with those guys and then put in the time to, you know, invest in those relationships where, you know, they can help continue to grow as a group and then obviously in their leadership positions within our program. That, I mean, you know, and I recruited Buzz when I was at Shenandoah, and I'll never forget, I was sitting in Goretti's gym, and Archbishop Spalding was getting ready to play Goretti, and it was uh, 2017, I guess I guess it would be 2017. Would that be about right? That was Buzz's senior year coming out of high school, the la my last year at Shenandoah. Does that sound right? I, I think so, yeah. Was that 2017 or 2018, so it would be 17? Yeah. Yeah. 2017, yeah. Yep. So I, I remember, you know, obviously Goretti being my alma mater. I was going in there, I was recruiting Buzz, and, and Josh came in and sat down. And I kind of had an idea at that second. I, Buzz was probably not going to put on the red, white, and blue of Shenandoah, and he was probably going to put on the black and gold of Randolph Macon. But, uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed following his career, as well as the other guys that, you know, I've recruited and you've recruited. You kind of can take a step back and look at them a little bit and see how they how they've shaped out. You mentioned a big word there when you were talking truth and uh, being real. So I tried to kind of name every day of the week for us. Yesterday was Trust Tuesday. Today's win win wisdom Wednesday. And uh, as a as an assistant coach, as an associate head coach, when you work with your with your guys, what's one piece of wisdom that you've gained in the past? or with your current staff that you work with now that you try to get with your guys at all times, one thing that you kind of always try to hit on that we can pass along to the listeners? I think, you know, the biggest thing is when we first got here, you know, everybody talks about, you know, core values, what kind of the backbone of their programs are going to be. Mm -hmm. And for us, we started with care, commit, compete. Um, and so after year two, I'm sorry, after year three, you know, we we had a we had a good year. We went eighteen and eight. We had just won the first of the the second consecutive regular season championship, uh, first outright. But you know, we hadn't won a conference tournament game yet. We didn't make the NCAA tournament. Right. Uh, and so that that's just that's the standard I ran off making is you're, you're playing in March. So a, a lot of the issue that we had was just our mistake response in terms of how do you respond to adversity in the course of the game? Because at some point adversity is going to hit. Like they're not going to go through a whole season let alone a game where, you know, a team's not going to make a run on it. And we weren't quite mature enough at that point as a group, you know, to kind of overcome that. And that really, you know, manifested itself, especially, you know, in a win or go home situation um, in, in those first few years. Because uh, we didn't win a conference tournament again the first three years that we were there. Right. Uh, and so that, that, that was our challenge was trying to find ways to help get us over the hump. And that was something that we really locked in on. And it's simple things just as, you know, when, when you're being coached, you know, just looking a coach in the eye and then also, you know, the tone and the volume of the conversation, you know, is it, is it respectful? Is it disrespectful? So you're putting it incumbent upon the person who's given, you know, the feedback and also the person receiving the feedback. And so I think that was, 
really the biggest thing I think that helped turn us and helped make, make us push forward. You know, I think that really helped create the separation for us as a program was that we had a bunch of guys that realized like nobody's going to be perfect on the floor. You know, anybody's receptive to feedback and anybody can give feedback. And I think that, you know, kind of two way street, especially, you know, from seniors on down to freshmen and making it more of a meritocracy than, you know, a seniority complex, I think really helped because it gave the younger guys a voice. Now, obviously they don't always want to use that voice, but there's always times and places where, you know, they can, they can hold the older guys accountable as well. Um, because without that, you know, it's really hard when you get on the court, like I said, because you're going to have different different classes on the court at different times. So you're going you're to have freshmen playing with sophomores. And at that point in time, you know, we had freshman guards, um, and, you know, really helping give them the confidence and the voice to hold each other accountable on the right. court was a big piece for, for us as we move forward in terms of our program growth. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's funny. People don't understand – and I had this conversation a lot because of the position I'm in, and, and I, I did not mention when I was listing off the places that you've been, you're also a high school coach. So you've been in all facets of this to understand a lot of people don't get how hard it is to finish your senior year of high school and start playing as a freshman in college. I don't care what level you're at. I don't care what division you're in. It is a very difficult jump, and I don't think enough people who – have not done that or been around that experience quite understand the on-taking that it is to be a, a college athlete at a very high level and be consistent at a high level. What are the things you look at for your freshmen to help them be consistent and kind of get over that proverbial hump to kind of make it as a freshman so that things start rolling smooth for their careers and for you guys on the floor? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we try and be as upfront and as transparent as possible on the front end. I mean, we, we, we usually tell guys on, on, on the front end, like, this is probably not going to be the easiest place for you. And, you know, I think really laying it out for them in the recruiting process and being transparent like that and, and kind of really almost painting a worst-case scenario, I think has really helped us with the buy-in once they get here uh, because they see the level of, of ability that we have on the roster. Right. Um, and, and then from there, you know, for us, the biggest thing is, you know, we want two way guys and we're always talking about, you know, we want guys that can own their matchup on the offensive end. We love, obviously the name of the game is you got to score points. Um, uh, but also in the defensive end, I think it's really where we try and separate ourselves in terms of, you know, being able to make it hard for the other team. Right. You know, we're not always going to be able to lock, lock guys up because great offense beats great defense, but how tough can you make it on people over the course of 40 minutes? And so, you know, we do a ton of film. I, I think that always helps because the film doesn't lie. It's like the eye in the sky. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, individual film sessions, you know, team film sessions, you know, I think we do a combination of both of those, a ton of work pre and post practice. And I think just getting guys reps and then figuring out how they learn best. And that's something I think we've kind of really dived into the last, last two or three years as well as, you know, figuring out how guys retain information best and how they best, you know, figure out, what we're trying to communicate to them. Sometimes guys are, are better watching film. I think most kids are in terms of seeing themselves and, and realizing, okay, this is what it looks like. Right. Uh, but then there's other things where, you know, sometimes is it, is it looking at play diagrams? Uh, is it, is it watching it on their own? Is it maybe walking through with us or one of the older guys, um, our, our upperclassmen, you know, in terms of them being able to talk and walk them through things. So, you know, we tried different, I guess learning modalities to get into the education sphere there 
Uh, but we try and touch on all those and, and really just impart on them. Like the way you earn your keep in terms of playing time is by being a two way guy. If you can't guard your position, you better be able to do something that is so unique offensively that we have to put you on the floor. Because right. for us, you know, the last, I believe the last five years, we've been in the top 10 scoring defenses in the country. Last year we were number one. And that's something that we take great pride in. So unless, unless, like I said, you have a unique skill set offensively, and we've had one or two guys in maybe four or five years, but again, you know, you're talking about one or two guys out of maybe 18 freshmen that have come in that have that unique skill set. And otherwise, it's really, you know, can you guard your position, help us, you know, make a difference defensively, either individually or as a team? You have been fortunate in your career to be at a lot of really probably awesome places on a bench. Where where would be the one place that was like the most hostile or like crazy atmosphere that you sat on the bench at? That's a great question. Um, I would probably say year one when I was at my year, first year of college coaching, at Siena playing at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, that was the year Kansas had just come off winning a national championship. Uh, you had Sharon Collins. You had the Morris Twins. Uh, I believe Thomas Robinson was on that team. I mean, they, they had, eventually, I think there were about eight or nine NBA players on that roster. And B, it was a spring. It wasn't a spring. It was a Christmas break game, so it was right after the new year. And we walked in for pregame warm-ups about an hour and 15 minutes before and the student section, which is the local community was already sold out and was going nuts. Um, and it was a sellout. Um, and it was just an incredible environment. You know, obviously high level basketball, big 12, you know, then they were a top 25 team coming off the national championship. So, you know, for us as a program at that point in time, the year before CNN had gone to the NCAA tournament upset uh, Vanderbilt, Mm-hmm. in the first round and then had lost to Villanova. And that year, you know, we ended up, you know, we struggled early that year. I think we lost, we started one and three, two and three that year. We had, we started out two and oh and lost three games. And then we, you know, the schedule we played was brutal. We played at Pittsburgh that year. Um, we played down in, in the, it's not the Old Spice Classic anymore, but it's the, the event that ESPN does down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had played Tennessee, Oklahoma State, and Wichita State. Um, and the nucleus of that Wichita State team was the team that ended up going to the Final Four a few years later. Gotcha. So, is that we, we were, Van we were Fleet and those guys? <laughs> uh, so, but I think just that atmosphere, it was just incredible, you know, to be a part of. Um, and obviously, that's one of the, I think, the landmark places if you're a basketball hoops junkie, uh, you know, is getting a fog out of your house. And for me, that was, that was probably the, the, the coolest place. I think, I don't know if it's necessarily hostile, but. You know, just a road environment, you know, that's probably one of the cooler places and cooler venues I, I've been able to, you know, be a part of through the basketball journey. Yeah, see, I'm a Kansas fan, as you know. That's that's a bucket list for me. I, I really want to get out there and catch a game. I've been fortunate enough to meet Bill Self a couple times and talk with him. But, man, it would be awesome to get in the uh, – in the Fog Island Fieldhouse. I mean, they got that big sign up there to say, beware of the fog. And I can only imagine what it's like when you guys get off the bus and walk through there. And and, and, and they're true basketball fans. And, and what I mean by that is they're not like rude or ignorant. They just, they know the game, they cheer for their team, and they just make it really hard on you. And I think that's really cool how uh, certain colleges are able to do that. 
Um, biggest game you've been a part of, like biggest one that goes back in your memory and you're like, man, it's just, you kind of relive it and still get goosebumps. What, what, any games that pop out in your mind from that? Man, pinning one down, um, you know, I would probably say it would go back to, man, that's tough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been forced to be a part of quite a few, but I probably would say, It's going to be a surprise. I would say probably when I was at Mount St. Mary's, yep. um, it was our second year, and uh, we were playing in the quarterfinals at home against St. Francis of New York. Okay. Um, and that was a game, I forget, it must have been, I want to say an eight or nine point deficit with maybe like a minute left. And we ended up, we ended up, it was a furious comeback rally. We ended up hitting a three at the buzzer to win. Uh, Rashad Wack hit a three on a uh, on a flip back from our man Julian Northfleet. But just the last minute and 10 seconds, you're really sitting there and, you know, we had high expectations that year with a group coming back. We had gone to the concert championship the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were hosting for the first time in a few years. I want to say it was at least the last five or six years that, yep. you know, the Mount had hosted a home game at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, you're sitting there and, you know, with a minute 10, like, you're looking up. I forget what it was. It was either nine or it was either nine, 10, 11 point deficit somewhere in that in that ballpark. And you're thinking, man, we're, this is going to be a long offseason if, if we can't <laughs> figure out a way. And then all it just takes is that one play, yep. one spark. And then all of a sudden you just get on a run. And after we won that game, you know, we ended up going to Wagner Place. I don't think we had even come close to competing with them the previous studies two games that you know we were there the year that second year and that year prior year one they blown us out both games mm-hmm. and uh we went up there we beat them and then we went on the road and, and beat robert morris at home by double figures and i don't think the game was really ever in doubt at that point because our guys felt like they had slayed the beast by getting by that quarterfinal game at home right now that, that was just an incredible I mean, the atmosphere we had a home game that i don't think it was sold out but it, i mean i know you've been up in Emmonsburg and anybody that's ever been to the mount um, it's a tough place to play. So the environment was, was awesome. It was the one televised game for the NEC at that point in time. Yep. And then obviously just the circumstances of, you know, coming back in the last minute and 10 seconds is just the absolute sanity that ensued, you know, and then the, the run that it led to, you know, was incredible. Well, and if now I got to ask the question, are you still holding the NEC championship trophy on your um, desktop of your phone? Like, is that still the background picture on your cell phone? <laughs> Fortunately for me, I was able to make an upgrade this spring <laughs> when we finally slayed the beast down in Salem and we uh, we won the ODAC tournament this year. So I, I've recently updated that photo finally. It took a few years, but um, yeah, if I, it was on there until this spring. That, that, I, I, yeah, I, I had to ask that. You know, I, I see I'm kind of looking at Shenandoah's schedule here. Just obviously that's a close trip for me. It looks like February 2nd to Tuesday night. You guys are coming into town. Um, I know you're supposed to start games January the 23rd. Is that is that still on kind of on pace at this point? So far, yeah. Okay. I mean, as I mean, we're kind of in a day to day mindset right now because you just never know. Right. Um, but as a, based on what we have set up so far, yes, that's that'll be our, our first home. That'll be our first game. I believe it's at Ferrum for us on the 23rd. Nice. Well. You know, I wish you the best of luck. You know, you know, our text messages will continue flowing back and forth. And uh, 
you know, we'll pick each other's brains and be there for wins and be there for losses for each other. But, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're playing ball and I have something else that happens on February the, uh, second at 7 PM. But if not, I, I'll make the 40 minute drive down to Winchester. I think I've done that a couple of times in my lifetime. So, uh, I'll come down and see you guys. I look forward to seeing that and watching you guys play. Um, I appreciate you being on the show. I know you're a busy guy. I know, you know, you're, you're probably going to be in the office. What about seven thirty tomorrow morning? Shoot, probably eight. Eight. At this rate, eight. a little bit of a later practice today. Hey, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. I know you're always the first person in the in the office, last person to leave. I always admired that about you. You made me want to work a little bit harder. Um, but I appreciate you being on. I wish you the best of luck this coming season. And uh, you know, I'd love to have you back on. I know once season starts, it might be a little difficult. But once we get up into March or something like that, we can kind of have a little bit of fun and talk hoops that, that at that time as well. Absolutely. Hey, man, I Anytime. appreciate it. Best of luck this season. Absolutely. You too, Chad. Thank Coach Maturo for being on today. Uh, always awesome to catch up with him. He does a great job. And uh, I'm actually super pumped for him for being the uh, named the associate head coach there at Randolph-Macon. So uh, look forward to following those guys this, uh, this up-and-coming season. As for us, we'll be uh, tuning in tomorrow morning. I hope you guys have a great evening. Stay safe and talk to you soon.